Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. The Danny Mac Show with BK. Podcast powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Tuesday edition of the Danny Mac Show with BK, Brandon Kylie, Dan McLaughlin, Tanner is with us. Looking forward to our guests coming up. I got to tell you this. Um, I was saying this on the crossover. I've never, he's a great friend, text all the time. Uh, I never thought I'd be interviewing him. I've never interviewed Cliff Well, maybe one time I did when we were in Chicago. But Cliff Polite is my former teammate in high school, Little League, college. We did all kinds. Great dude. Great career in the big league, still calling St. Louis home. So looking forward to a world champion, by the way, of the 2005 White Sox. And I know you do your homework. You probably did the numbers. He had a hell of a run, man, in the middle of his career. He was a really, really good bullpenner and at times a closer for multiple teams. And I don't know why that 05 White Sox team doesn't get the respect it deserves. I agree. That was a hell of a baseball team. Yes, it was. And a worthy champion and one that for whatever reason, maybe it's because the year prior was the White Sox and then right after here in St. Louis. Red Sox. Or excuse me, the Red Sox the year after you've got the Cardinals going. And so it just kind of gets lost in that shuffle. I'm not sure what the explanation is, but for whatever reason, they don't get the credit that they deserve maybe because it wasn't a great world series that's now, fair the games the four games all were tight they were walk-off hits Pesednik hit a walk-off he had jeff bloom uh blum making a, a walk-off or having a walk-off or not a walk-off it was in houston a late innings game extra innings i remember hits one against the astros and they win but it wasn't like the dramatics of 2011 and 06 and you know the 04 red Sox making history although this team made history too and yet it doesn't get still the kind of uh credit or respect maybe that it deserves i would be curious his perspective on that because i remember even i think this was last year when everybody was looking for content right and there was a piece that was written i think it was on mlb.com even looking back at World Series champions and like droughts and whatnot, and they forgot in the piece that the White Sox had won. How do you do that? It's like, come on, guys. It did happen. It did exist. Something like 80-something years or whatever it was for the White Sox. So looking forward to that. Uh, Vianney High School's own Cliff Belite. And we'll have some news around the major leagues, but let's start with the game last night. So Cardinals drop it 5-1. to one. There's so many storylines in this game, BK. Uh First of all, easy one, Tony LaRusso facing his former team for the first time ever. He had never faced the St. Louis Cardinals. Mike Schilt facing his mentor. Uh, tonight, by the way, you got Giolito and Flaherty, two high school teammates. That's pretty cool. Um, I, d- I just thought the game and th- the biggest storyline for me is what happens between the white lines, which was Lance Lynn going against his former team. Love watching the guy pitch, man. There's nothing fancy about it. Here it is. He's throwing 94% fastballs. Now, calling a cutter a fastball, too. But he takes a little off. He'll spot it. Spots everything that he's, that he's doing out there. And befuddled the Cardinals to an extent. Cardinals had opportunities again to score. And the Cardinals, again, had bullpen issues. Now, you're going to be talking about should KK face Vaughn. And we're just talking about this off the air. Vaughn has got great numbers against lefties. KK is near 100 pitches. Do you leave him in? He did. I really didn't have a problem with it because, and here's my reasoning. My guess is Cabrera's off limits. 
Giovanni Gallegos may be off limits. Reyes may be off limits. And if they're not off limits, you still have to get to them in the eighth or the ninth potentially. So do you want to go to your bullpen outside of those three? Or do you go with KK? I'm okay saying, KK, I, I got trust in you to make this pitch. He didn't. You got burned. Yeah, uh, Schilt said after the game, Gallegos, Reyes, both off. They, they they were not available last night. Cabrera could have potentially been available, but I think they were saving him for a closing situation yep. if they were up. Same thing with Helsley. If they were up ahead late, they would have potentially gone to Helsley. So your option there was Ponce, basically. He was your best and maybe even only option available there. Whitley as well, potentially later on, as we saw. This is a tough one for me because on one hand, should KK be facing Andrew Vaughn in that spot? The answer is no. In an ideal world, the Cardinals are not living in an ideal world right now, though. And so the options there available to him are not ideal. But if you just look at the numbers, KK third time through the order, 1,000 OPS against. If you look at Andrew Vaughn, what he's done against righties versus lefties. Against righties this year, Andrew Vaughn is a 540 OPS. That's terrible. Worst in the or bad, like below average even compared to regular starters against lefties he has an ops over a thousand so this was not a good situation for kk to be left in the game but he doesn't have a better option there if you want to go to ponce fine but we saw what happened when he wants ponce afterwards it did not work out well for daniel ponce de leon and i'm a big advocate of his he's not pitching very well right now so I don't know. I, I don't know what to do if you're Mike Schiltz. That's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't situations. He did not have a good option. So to add further to what you're talking about, Gallegos, Cabrera, Reyes this month, prior to last night, 36 and a third, a one, two, four ERA. Take that all day and run with it. Every month, you're going to win some games. Every other Cardinals reliever this month, outside of Gallegos, Cabrera, Reyes, and this probably goes into the decision-making of Mike Schilt prior to last night, 31 and a third, 31 earned runs, 22 walks, and an 8.90 ERA. That ain't going to cut it. It's just not going to cut it. Now, what happens many times in a long season, guys get hot, you get waves of, you know what, the starters, remember a few weeks ago, were just incredible. Then you have the waves of bullpen guys that get hot and all of a sudden they win you games. But right now it is a bad run for the Cardinal bullpen outside of the big three. So what we saw last night with Vaughn coming up, Mike Schilt goes out to the mound. They bring in the interpreter who ran a 4-2-40 to get back out there. They, <laughs> they're like, hey, can we call it? Yeah, bring him out. Okay, boom, he races out to the mound. And uh, this is about the conversation that he had with KK before Vaughn's home run. Didn't love the matchup with Vaughn with him. Um, but still had command of what he was doing. Obviously got Craig out there. We just wanted to make sure he treated him like it was um, pretty much 0-2 the whole at bat. And we'd take our shot with Garcia, who had uh, already, you know, come up with some traffic. And KK, had, you know, he didn't look like he was real comfortable with KK, seeing the ball really well. You know, he said, yep, I feel, feel like I've got more left. Demeanor was great. He's in control. And... Um, Made a pitch, you got to put a good swing on it. Also fell behind in the count, became a hitter's count. That was the ball game right there. It was ugly. Um, and that game was just disappointing on so many levels. The offense didn't really come through. They couldn't find a way to get to Lance Lynn. Once Kopech came in the game, they couldn't find a way to hit that guy. He, he's, he's nasty. He's so good. Um, and that's just it's one of those you chalk up to rough game. Problem is, Dan, this has been a rough 10 days for the Cardinals right now. San Diego, not a good series for this team. Chicago, 
You did get the win. You had a wonderful moment for Yadier Molina. But overall, I would say that the series was a disappointment for the Cardinals going up against the Cubs. And then last night. And so they, they just need to find a way to get a rebound. And this is why Jack Flaherty's your ace. That's right. Because when you get into a rut like this as a team, you want to throw that guy out there on the mound to give yourself a chance to go deep. And that is exactly what they need out of Jack Flaherty tonight, man. They oh, need a good one out of him. Big time. He's 8-0. and He has won eight of his first nine decisions. Um, and so some people would say, well, eight wins, who cares? Because it's wins. I don't look at that. Okay, then let's look at ERA. Take away the first game of the season that he pitched in. He's been spectacular. So to your point, he is the ace of this team. One of the problems that you have right now is the Michaelis injury has a ripple effect with this team. And I was mentioning this on the crossover. You might have had a situation, maybe, where if Michaelis came out of the game on Saturday and he was scheduled to go and you felt comfortable enough that he's back in your rotation, maybe. Now, again, they're still talking about a six-man rotation, so Gant still might be in there. But you may have also had a situation where John Gant would be a part of your bullpen. Which, and then Johan Oviedo gets that spot. That's uh, right. Potentially. That's right. So that's something to consider probably going forward. Oviedo, by the way, is the only member of the taxi squad right now with the St. Louis Cardinals. He is with the team in Chicago. Mike Schilt gave an update on Miles Michaelis. Miles is going to get a second opinion on Wednesday with Dr. Andrews, and then we'll evaluate what that those findings look like. You know, clearly our hope is he reinforces what, what our group has seen, but... Uh, Rightfully, he's getting a second opinion, and we'll know more at some point Wednesday or Thursday. So that's the Cardinals' perspective of things. Lance Lynn, really good last night. Saw you put it out on Twitter. Do you want to see a Lance Lynn no-hitter? What, yeah. what were your two questions? So I wanted to know, like, hey, if you're a Cardinals fan right now, do you want to see Lance Lynn get this against the cards? And 75% of the audience, of course, said no because he's going up against the cards. I was kind of quietly rooting for a Lance Lynn no-hitter that resulted in a Cardinals win. And it seemed like there with Tommy Edmond on third and you had, I think it was one out at that point in time and there had been zero hits in the game. I was really hoping for a sacrifice fly there that scored Tommy Edmond Cardinals win one to nothing and Lance Lynn gets the no hitter. That was my ideal scenario right there. Seven innings, three hits, earn run, walk three, struck out four, no hitter through five and a third before Goldschmidt picked up a single an error on Tim Anderson. That was ruled a single. single. Yeah. Uh, that was odd. He went to his right. The ball was to the left, and it, it had to be knuckling on him. And you could see from Lynn's reaction, he couldn't believe it. He was upset about it. He threw 104 pitches, 10 off speed of the 104. So he's just trying to pound the strike zone and saying, here you go, go get it. Lynn on his emotions on facing the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Well, what is that mix of emotions like? Is it is it a lot of uh, you know nostalgia involved, or is it a little bit of a prove it kind of thing too? Prove it hatefulness a little bit of everything i love him i do he's one of my favorite cardinals i've ever covered and the stuff that that fans hear in the post games and the pre games and all that stuff that's not him he, he is a great dude and he just loves messing with the media with this kind of stuff and i think the media gets a kick out of it he gets a kick out of it you don't like it, do you? I love it. Oh, so, I think it's hilarious. No, no, it's great. And we were watching the pregame show yesterday, and Jim Hayes had him on for had the great pregame interview. interview. I was watching it with Kara, my fiance, and Kara doesn't know the backstory with Lance Lynn and all, all, all this stuff. So she's watching this as a neutral observer who doesn't know Lynn, anything about Lance Lynn. And she's watching it. She's like, 
this guy's really funny. Oh, yeah. Who is this guy? And I explained to her the situation. I was like, yeah, this is this is his shtick. This is his thing. And Lynn, well, Lynn talked about how this meant a lot for him because he was with the Cardinals, departed the Cardinals after the 17 season, spending six years in St. Louis. He was drafted first round by St. Louis, developed by St. Louis. Wears a 2011 ring, big part of that bullpen in St. Louis. So this meant a lot to him. I'm not going to lie to you. That was probably the most satisfying win I've ever had in my career, um, not counting the playoffs. So uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit beating them. Um, it's one of the one of the teams I do not have a major league win against, and, and now I do, and uh, I, I definitely enjoyed it. So he was in the bullpen, BK, then became a starter in 12. He was an all-star that year. That year, So in five full seasons as a Cardinal starter, you think you'd take this? 32 starts. This is what he averaged, 190 innings and a 3-4 ERA. Take that, wouldn't you? That's what they're missing right now, Big in time. fact. Like, if you look at it, Dan, it was basically Miles Michaelis replaced Lance Lynn for the Cardinals. Like that was a little different in terms of the money, but it was the same offseason. Cardinals signed Miles Michaelis. They let Lance Lynn go. Lynn's final year, 2017, he rejected the qualifying offer, ends up signing a $12 million deal with the Twins. And if you look back four years now, basically, he was on a four-year, $42 million deal in total. Lance Lynn was. You look at uh, Miles Michaelis. He has been signed for four years, $46 million in total, if you include this season as well. Sometimes the best move that you make is the one that you don't. And sometimes you regret the fact that you didn't make a move. And I think if you if you put the Cardinals on truth serum, they would have loved to have had Lance Lynn over the last four years instead of going out in free agency and getting somebody else to replace what they were getting from Lance Lynn. Coming up, we'll visit with Cliff Polite. He is a Viani grad. He is a major leaguer former major leaguer and a world champion of the 2005 White Sox. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Tying run at second, two out, Palmero over the head of Jenks. Uribe charges, throws, and the White Sox have won the World Series. Juan Uribe with a play, charging it, throwing it, and the White Sox celebrate their first title in 88 years. I was so happy that night that the White Sox won, and i got to be honest, the whole reason I was happy the White Sox won is because our next guest was a big part of that team. I call him a great friend, a former teammate of mine in high school, and let's just say he was a lot better than me. A lot better than me. Uh, one of my favorite people in the world, and that's Cliff Polite. How you doing, Cliff? I'm good, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, have I ever interviewed you before <laughs> outside of like when we were in the dugout when we were little kids and I would probably be talking your ear off, but I don't know if I've ever officially interviewed you. Not officially, you haven't. Um, I know we, you and I shot the bull down in uh, fantasy camp a couple times or whatever, but uh, nothing this formal. I'm, I'm pretty impressed and... Uh, excited for it well i'm nervous okay. and, and nervous and a little nervous are you I'm afraid what's gonna come out of your mouth <laughs> i'm not no 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 this is all serious i'm, I'm, I'm kidding i'll, I'll, I'll be good to you. With you hey how you doing what what tell tell fans here in st louis your former cardinal as well what you what you've been up to these days well i uh i have three boys um i've been chasing them all over st louis i have two of them that are with the st louis naturals um 15 year old and a 17 year old that's currently at Lindbergh. one's at Viani. And I have a 12-year-old boy that uh, plays for a little select team, the Redbirds, and 
I chase them everywhere, man. I go all their games. I coach at 17-year-old kids and uh, uh, enjoy it. I've enjoy heard, being around the boys. Well, I'm going to say it. You don't maybe have to say it, but I've heard your kids are very, very good players. How, how good are these kids, and, and where are they going to go to college, or do they want to continue playing baseball or other sports? Yeah, no. They um, Well, Michael, my middle child, is really good at basketball. He loves basketball. Um, Drew, my oldest, I think he's got a potential to continue in, in in college, um, he's got the great uh, work ethic. Probably works harder than I did. And um, but you know what? The biggest thing for me is that they're playing, and um, I'm I, whatever they want to play, I, I let them play. If they want to go to college and play basketball, that's fine. I, I can't. I'm not going to force their hand to do anything just because I did it. So I'll just let them uh, pick their own road. But they they do well. They're pretty good. Uh, Drew's at Lindbergh. They just won districts, and they will be playing CBC on Saturday for uh, sectionals. Let's hey, go Flyers. Hey, Cliff, yeah, I want to take yeah, you back <laughs> to your high school days. You're playing with, with Danny Mack, and you guys are at Vianney. And I I would love to know, what was Danny Mack like as a high school kid, a high school baseball player? Can you, can you give our listeners a little bit of insight into Danny Mack, the high schooler? Well, hold on. As a baseball player, I can answer that. Terrible. <laughs> okay, so that's okay. It doesn't matter. It, it, I no. love the game. It was, I was terrible, but Cliff right. was a real stud. No, Dan was a guy that everybody loved to be around. Uh, Dan was everybody's friend. We all, everybody went to Dan. And the fact that I got to go to school with him and play with him, and we did summer ball prior to that, our our dads knew each other really well. So, you know, it's fun to be able to play with friends like that. And, um, you know, Dan was probably, in a good way, Dan, you know, not a clown, but the the fun guy, the outgoing and guy you wanted to be around and – we all enjoyed him. I never had an issue with Dan and never will. Uh, we had issues when I had to catch you and you were throwing like 92 <laughs> and 94. And I, I don't know if you remember this, but we're in districts and we hadn't thrown you for like a week and a half. So you were well rested and you struck out the side. You had an immaculate inning. And uh, this is when I knew that my really bad career was over is when I was struggling to catch a 92 mile an hour fastball, much less hit it. But you went from a guy that was throwing really hard for this level at that time in high school, like 92, 93, 94, because I remember we had some scouts there at the games. And then all of a sudden, when you got into to pro ball, your your body just got, I mean, your lower half got big. You were, you were able to really generate a lot of power with that, and you were throwing hard. How did that all happen for you as, as you went through the minor leagues and then made it to the big leagues and then really filled out and, and sculpted the role that you had? Well, it's kind of funny because you talked about high school even though i threw hard i had no clue where it was going so tell me about it i got to side with right i would say i didn't know you can jump that high to catch fastball so <laughs> but, um you know i i didn't really pitch much in high school though you know i threw every like you said week and a half or whatever and then i left to go to memphis state which i i pitched one inning i think down there and um threw maybe two or three bullpens and so my arm was fresh i was an outfielder i was playing long toss every day and um then I went to Jeffco and, and pitched every five days and then played the outfield and still, you know, arm strength by playing long toss and all that. Um, then I got drafted as a starter. So I was throwing a lot of innings. Um, so, you know, you're, you're, when you throw that many innings, your arms wearing down, you, your velocity's down. And then that second or first off season uh, in the minor leagues, I got with a trainer and start working out uh, three to four days a week, legs, back, shoulders, everything that I never knew I had muscles at. And um, just kind of got after it. And then when I got moved to the bullpen and you throw, 
one or two uh, innings a week, you know, it's, it's easy to let it go. And then um, that's kind of what happened and how my velocity kind of increased. But it was a lot of hard work. My body's paying for it now. Um, but it was the only way that I was going to make it being a 54th rounder and, you know, no money invested in me. I had no chance. So I had to do what I had to do, work my butt off and, and stay out of trouble to, to get a, even get a shot. Did, did you like pitching for Ozzie Guillen? Was that a good thing for Cliff Lee or was it, he was just kind of the sideshow and you guys just did your thing? No, I, I did. He was very, uh, he was a, a player's coach um, playing the game itself. He knew that there's going to be days we have it. And some days we don't, um, it, you know, it did change a little bit when we start uh, struggling at the end there in, in September, but um for the most part, man, he was true. Hey, get him tomorrow. And um, some coaches will never give you the opportunity tomorrow or a couple of days, but he always had a, a way to find you, get you right back out there. Hey, Cliff, your first experience in the big leagues was in the summer of 98 here in St. Louis. And so you got to see all of that up close and in person. What was that summer like for you to be around that club with TLR as the manager, everything that's happening at that point in time with McGuire and this, the home run chase? What was that summer like for you? I wish I remembered. Um, <laughs> kidding. It, it, happens, it, it happened so quick, honestly. And I wish I could go back and, you know, being more mature with the game and uh, all, all that stuff that you can go back and do it over. But it was so quick and, you know, I, I do remember walking into the uh, big league clubhouse in spring training and seeing Willie McGee's Jersey and Langford and all those guys that I grew up watching. And I was in awe and McGuire and all these guys, Pagnazzi. I mean, I can go on and on, but we only got a short time, but I was like amazed that, you know, but I was just there just to throw the baseball. I wasn't there, you know, for any of that. I was just there to show what I could do. And, um, it was so quick. Um, a lot of things happen that you're like, oh, my God, I totally forgot. But um, I enjoyed it. Everybody everybody that I played with that year, um, I was only there, what, 50, 60 days before I got sent down. They were tremendous people. They treated me with respect, and I still run into them, and they act like I played with them for five or ten years. When uh, when they had the Yanni Day to honor Cliff Polite, Mark Lamping set that up, who was another alum and now running the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was the club president at the time. Uh, and there were so many kids there and parents and alumni. What was that like for you? Did you feel extra pressure? Did you did you feel like this is too much attention? What what was it like for you? Yeah, a lot of um, that night when I found out about that, I think, well, actually, when Mark came up to me, so we're going to donate 800 tickets to school. I was like, oh, do I have to pay for those? Because <laughs> I was going to start making money, man. And I like 800 tickets. That's a lot of money. But um, no, I'm just teasing. But I um I was sick the night before. Um, I would just had a fever and I was all nerves and um, woke up that next morning and um, remember getting to the ballpark and uh, somebody said, have you been out there yet? And I was like, not since BP. And they're like, you got to see left field. And I looked up there and it just, that kind of hit me like, is this really happening? And then I remember playing catch uh, while I was warming up and, you know, you look in the stands and I start seeing a cousin from Florida and his family and all this. I'm like, this is, it was amazing. Uh, very blown away by the gesture, but man, it was, uh, it was nerve wracking. It was tough. And, uh, but again, go back and do it again. I would love to do it. Try it again. Oh, I bet. I, I, I'm really curious too about this. Do you think it was the best thing for you to get traded out of town? 
um, you know, you play at your hometown, you were a fan favorite, and there is a lot of pressure and requests that go along with being a hometown guy in a baseball town. Do, do you think it was a good thing to get out of town? Without a doubt. Um, you know, there are some special people in this world, um, in, the, in this game or any other game, that, you know, they strive off of that. They loved it. Um, I was a guy that wore my heart on my sleeve, and um, for me to pitch in my hometown. And, you know, back then, Dan, tickets were free. Uh, we had four free tickets every home game. That's right. You just sign up. Uh, That's right. Yeah. And and if somebody wasn't using theirs, uh, you stole theirs. And if someone wasn't using theirs, you stole theirs. And, you know, so giving out tickets every night was a pain in the rear. Um, that made it difficult for me. And so when I did get traded, and I guess I got traded to the best place uh, for fans because I went to Philly and didn't have to worry about anything. But <laughs> besides getting hit with batteries and stuff. But otherwise, <laughs> it was good. And, um, but, yeah, I think it was the best move for me. Um, when I did get traded and sent down, I did feel like I let a lot of friends and family down, which now that I'm more mature, I think about it. It's like, you know, I can't control that. I did what I could do and it didn't work out. And But, you know, that's how I, I considered myself thinking. And it kind of – it probably hurt me in the long run um, – my first year and second year with Philly probably thought about it too much, but yeah, it was probably the best thing for me and my family. Cliff, final question that I had for you. You look back on that 05 White Sox team and what you guys were able to accomplish. And I love talking to guys that were able to win a world series because it it's more than just talent, right? It, it takes so much more than that. And the 2011 Cardinals would tell you that the 06 team would as well. What was it about that 05 White Sox team that allowed you guys to have so much success and then ultimately to be able to win a World Series together? I'd say a lot of it was luck. Um, we had a lot of guys stay healthy. We had guys like myself had horseshoes stuck somewhere um, <laughs> and had really good years. Uh, Neil Cotts had a great year, but we got Bobby Jenks and Kanurka went off to main die. I mean, it's up and down the lineup. You never had that one big two, three superstars like a lot of teams do, but we also won a lot of games by one run. And when we were able to establish that early in the season, uh, when we got in tougher games on the road, it was like we'd been there, done it, and we knew how to handle it. But, um, man, we just all had, we all gelled. We all had got along. There was no bickering. Everybody, you know, I've gone to dinner with players before where pitchers all stick together or two friends or whatever, but we were going to dinner with, outfielders and first basemen and catchers and all that. And we just, it's kind of atmosphere that Ozzie and Kenny Williams brought to the table and we kind of bought into it. Do you guys uh, get together still? Are you still talking to a bunch of the guys from the 05 team? Every once in a while, not as much as I wished or hoped, but um, I haven't talked to Burley in a while and would love to. I just know he's busy with family and myself, but um, every once in a while I'll shoot Neil Cox, uh, Cox a text and keep in touch with him. But, it's it's hard. Everybody, you know, at, at, as we get older, we all have kids and we're chasing them. And um, it's not that you don't want to reach out to them. You just kind of forget about it. But that, that was a bunch of great guys that I played with and um, consider them friends for the rest of my life. I am curious if your kids ever ask you uh, to go back on YouTube and, and check out what you were doing in the World Series. You closed out game one in the playoffs. I mean, you, you had a hell of a run. Do, you, do your kids ever ask you about it? They do. Um, it, it's funny because uh, it seems like the older kids and, and my middle child, they get a kick when they go on YouTube. I think the sh- only thing they really show is uh, Millar hitting a walk-off against me against in, in, uh, in Florida when I was with Philly. 
and that's all the kids talk about. They're like, man, did you see how far he hit that? I'm like, oh, <laughs> the other thing. So, uh, but they do. My, my youngest, uh, I, I get on his iPad, and he's got pictures of me from the World Series that he just Googled online, and I didn't even know they're out there. I'm like, where'd you find that? And so, but um, we talk about it once uh, once in a while. I think it's really the younger kids that are more amazed by it than the older ones. And I'll wrap it up with this. Are you Are you doing any private lessons for kids in the area? I know you get asked to help a ton of people. Um, and I, I said this on the, the previous show. I said you were just an incredible athlete, all stated soccer, obviously as a center fielder, you got to be able to run, you had a big arm. So you know about the hitting side and for sure the pitching side. So are you doing some kind of instruction on the side with anybody? Um, not so much now. I did uh, last winter. Okay. Um, I did, but um, uh, we have, like I mentioned earlier, we have a group uh, with the naturals, uh, Richmond and Lance Sherman that uh, run that facility and, and they let our team come in and they do their lessons and, and whatnot. But uh, at, at the moment, I am not uh, doing that currently. Gotcha. I got to tell you, man, it's it's awesome to be able to visit with you. I never thought when your dad, who was ambidextrous, throwing BP to us as little kids in Maplewood, that we would be ever talking on the radio. So this has been a thrill for me. And uh, you know I love you to death, and I appreciate everything that you do. And thanks for coming on. Well, Danny, I love you too, buddy, and it's great to hear from you, and I appreciate you thinking of me, man. You got it, always. That's Cliff Polite, uh, who pitched for the World Series champions of the White Sox in 2005. I mean to tell you, he was some kind of athlete, BK. I mean, some kind of athlete. It was fun to watch. It's fun funny, to right? Watch. Because we all grow up with whoever in your area is the best athlete. Like, right. you think back to your childhood, and you've got that guy. Everybody's got that guy. For me, his name was Darian Miller. He was an unbelievable running back that I played with, and everybody thought from the time we were in, like, third grade, oh, this kid's going pro, right? Like, he's got everything you could ask for. He's big, he's strong, he's fast. And then you get to college, and there's other big, strong, fast kids, and he just didn't quite make it, right, for whatever reason. But for you, the guy that you grew up with actually did make it. And that's an incredible thing because to get to that level, I mean, you have to be a top tenth of a tenth of a tenth of a percent of the athletes. you got to work your ass off, got to get a little luck along the way, and he he had all of that. And he mentioned 54th round pick, and baseball now only has five rounds. And I I do wonder going forward – if we're going to miss, and, I, and the answer is yes, we're going to miss out on guys like Cliff that he wasn't, you know, 6'5 or 6'6 and throwing 98 with a spin rate of 2,000, whatever. And, you know, he's not going to jump off the pages, but if you give him a shot, he's got a chance. And those are the stories that you love to hear about, that the, these guys that may not be the analytical darlings coming out of high school or junior college or their third year in, in playing at Division One or wherever they may play. They're finding guys everywhere. But uh, these are the guys that make teams. And that's that disappoints me that we're not going to see some of those guys. Because some of those guys, you know what they would do? If I was Cliff and I was a 54th-round pick or if I was now not a 54th-round pick, you got to say, is it really worth it? You know, maybe I, I start doing something else. And unfortunately, that is going to happen with some of these players. It's not quite the same because it's not the 54th round, but a guy that I think to immediately, Dan, is Matt Carpenter. He was a 13th sure. round pick coming out of TCU. He five got his, years in college. There's no, you never hear about a five-year guy. Got his body right eventually. Everything clicked for him. And we know what the story of Matt Carpenter is now. Would he have been given that opportunity no. in today's game that he was given back in whatever, 2009, 2010? You're probably right. The answer is probably no. And so I am worried about what that's going to mean for the game, who we're going to miss out on seeing because of that. 
we're frankly never going to know because it's the great unknown. But that that stinks for baseball. And the other thing, too, and I think in listening to Cliff as it pertains to everyone that has a kid or whatever, you, you sit there and you go, well, my son or my daughter's a late bloomer. You know, their body just didn't mature till junior, senior year in high school. And then, well, maybe didn't mature at all. And they got just a crack at it to go play junior college. And then all of a sudden a JUCO, oh, wait a minute, this this person, they put on 30 pounds of muscle and because their body matured. You know, and that's the thing I saw with Cliff. And we have a great picture together. He came through with Toronto and uh, the team photographer found us both and said, you, you, you're you going to want this picture. I have it hanging in my wall at my house. And Cliff signed it to me, and it's a picture of us as kids, really, essentially. I'm doing the game, and he's going to pitch, and his body had matured incredibly. That doesn't happen without the, the the potential of playing in the minor leagues, and that is disappointing to me. It really is. So hopefully don't give up on your dream like Cliff didn't, and you'll have a chance to be a major leaguer or maybe play college or whatever that may be. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. My buddy uh, Nick Ragone from the Ascension Charity Classic, uh, which is coming up late this summer, and that'll be out at Norwood Hills, September 9th through the 12th. Uh, it's presented by Emerson, by the way. He uh, he may have been the happiest guy this weekend when Phil Mickelson won the PGA. So they're trying to get a commitment of Phil to come. They're, they're pretty close that they think they could have him there. So he could be a part of the champion store because he's 50. So when Phil won... The tense, the tickets, sponsorships started to explode in the last 24 to 48 hours because of Phil. I mean, he's had a major impact. So if you want to get those tickets, it's ascensioncharityclassic.com. And you can go there. There's the Pro-Am. There's sponsorship opportunities, tickets, but ascensioncharityclassic.com. I want to make sure and get that out there because that is, if you're a golfer, a sports fan, it's a, it's going to be a great event. And here's the thing. That'll be the only uh, professional golf event going on. That's one of the, I think, two or three weeks that the PGA Tour takes off. And we'll have the tour that's actually going to be shown. Everybody's going to be watching it here in St. Louis. So that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Uh, one of my favorite sports memories is the PGA Championship that was here in St. Louis. It was, Reeve. It was incredible. Well, they, they kept referencing that during the broadcast on Sunday that this the interest level of any major is at its height right now. Um because of Phil, and then you had the Tiger Masters, the last one he won, but then they kept talking about Bell Reeve because Tiger was in the hunt, and it was the first time he was in the hunt of a major in a long time, and the place was electric. That Sunday, following him uh, around, did was, you do that? I did. Yeah, it was incredible. It, it really was among the greatest sports memories that I will have. Uh, the buzz that you had that day, and the cool thing about it, Dan, is we're we're just talking about this off air. It's funny. Um, it wasn't checking your phone all day long. Like you, you basically had no service for the majority of the time that you were out there. And so it was like the old school. You were watching the scoreboard change as you were walking the course with Tiger Woods. And you could tell by like 16, 17. Okay. Tiger's not going to be able to, to, to finish this thing out, but it didn't matter. You just kept on going and following them through 18 and being able to like all fall through on the 18th hole. It was, it was absolutely incredible. Incredible. I'm going to be there uh, in September for this one. And if Phil is there, well, there's a couple guys I want to follow. I want to follow John Daly. I want to follow Phil if he's there. And I hope, fingers crossed, he is. And the other guy is our buddy Jay Delsing. 
who literally was carrying the bags out at Norwood and now gets to play in a professional event. Um, Jay Williamson as well, who grew up here in St. Louis. He's going to play in that. I, I just think, you know, for a golfer, you think about like in baseball or hockey, basketball, you have your home venue. Golfers never have a home venue. So to be able to do that, I think would be pretty cool. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, and so it's really cool to see what's going to happen with uh well, you know, if you get Mickelson out there, it's going to be awesome. So looking forward to that. Again, AscensionCharityClassic.com. Cardinals offense is in a slump, my man. Let's see if they can't uh, turn this turn this around somehow tonight. So last 11 games, Cardinals are averaging just three runs per game, 24th in average, 23rd in OPS. So that does show you how much you do miss Tyler O'Neill, Paul DeYoung to an extent, even though Sosa has, has hit very well and played defensively very well. And Arenado and Goldschmidt at times have been there. Arenado's cooled off just a little bit the last few games, but they got a tall order tonight in G- uh, Giolito. When he's on, he is flat out nasty. He's filthy. So this is going to be, and you know he's going to have a little extra probably for his buddy oh, yeah. on the other side. So I would hope they'll say the same thing about Jack Flaherty. That's what makes this game a lot of fun. It's great. It's going to be amazing theater. You've got that. You've got TLR once again going up against his former team. I mean, there's just, there's storylines galore in this series. Like, it, it it's made for TV in a lot of ways. You know what we didn't mention? What? Come on. The biggest story. Joe West. Oh, I was like, I, I'm sure there's something here that I should be making. It is not the biggest story. <laughs> um, it, the cascade effects that we talked about earlier with Miles Michaelis on the pitching side of things, it's happening as well on the hitting side of things. Like you've got Paul DeYoung, who is unavailable right now. Tyler O'Neill unavailable. We'll see with Harrison Bader. Hopefully we get an update with him. And so now Justin Williams was finally starting to get a knack for this pinch hitting role. Now he's thrust into an everyday role. Lane Thomas is now playing every day in an every inning role. Edmundo Sosa, same thing. Uh, Matt Carpenter right now with the DH is hit coming up. Every- it's just your your depth is being tested both For on the sure. pitching and the hitting side of things. This is a team that just needs to get healthy right now. Well, a couple notes from Major League Baseball last night. We always do baseball on the show. So the Rays score seven in the 11th to beat Toronto 14 to six. That's now 11 straight. It was spiked earlier in the inning. Is batting again. And a bouncing ball. That's going to bounce over Espinal's head and go up the left field line. Grosso's going to get a run home as Margot scores and so the merry-go-round continues here for the Rays as they have built a 14 to 7 lead that was in Dunedin and now they have to I, I was reading about this and I watched that game yesterday it was on MLB Network now imagine this you're the uh, you're the Toronto Blue Jays it's something like 14 or 15 trucks that have to go up to Buffalo now so the team goes on the road. Their home games are going to be in Buffalo. They still don't know if they can get to Toronto. And then they have to find housing for all the families, too. That's not an easy thing, man. No, it sucks. And everybody's been dealing with stuff this year. But for the Toronto Blue Jays, Ooh. the Toronto Raptors had this while they were playing down in Tampa this year as well. It's just you never feel like you're comfortable. That essentially in watching that game was like a home game for Tampa Bay because of being in Dunedin. Uh, former Cardinal Austin Gomber had a big night against the Mets. And now a wow. three-strike count, and that was a gorgeous changeup. That is strikeout number seven tonight for Gomber. Good for Gomber. He struck out eight. They beat the Mets, and we think the Cardinals are beat up. 
The Ooh. Mets are beat up. And somehow still in first place in the NL East. That division, Dan, we thought it was going to be a four or five team race because it was competitive. No, it's a four or five team race because all of them kind of stink right now. Absolutely. And as Tanner mentioned, the Dodgers visit the Astros for the first time since the cheating scandal tonight. That will be fun to watch. You have your show coming up with Alex. Who are the guests? So you guys always have good guests. Coming up today, we've got Don Cooper, former White Sox pitching coach. He's going to join us at 1215. We also have Chris Getz, the White Sox assistant general manager. Dan, we talked about Skip Schumacher on the verge of being a manager here pretty soon. I think it's going to be the same thing for Chris Getz. He is an assistant GM right now with the White Sox. He will be a general manager in baseball someday. So excited to talk with him coming up in the one o'clock hour. I think another White Sox connection for a potential managerial spot will be Joe McEwing, who was a fan favorite briefly here in St. Louis and now is the third base coach for Tony La Russa. So looking forward to listening to that. You've been listening to the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.